strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. We've been talking cause and effect, and when it comes to the border, I, there are three independent um, issues at the border. One of them is border security. I think that's the most important. Secondly is the immigration system itself and how it can be made better. And lastly is commerce and trade. And, and what happened in Mexico with the kidnapping and murder of Americans has helped um, bring attention to all of it. But I want to start somewhere else before we get to the update on what happened in Mexico, because I think this is an important piece of this entire puzzle. Um, I'm going to read a headline, and I want you to think about how you feel about it when you just the initial reaction to what you think about. Representatives Greg Stanton and Ruben Gallego, now both of them obviously Democrats, would let DACA recipients work in Congress and serve in the military. I want you to think about that for a moment. If your initial reaction was negative about that, a negative feeling about that, I want you to ask yourself why. Because I want to I want to give you a different argument about this, because I think what this does, I think there is no better example in the immigration side of this. There is no bigger example of the failures of our immigration system in America than the dreamers. These are young people that were raised in American schools, on American soil, in an American culture. And as adults, some of them want to work in Congress or they want to be members of the military. Um, I would say that one of the things that I hold up and I still am mesmerized by, I was uh, traveling this week. I was in New York and uh, in the airport you see members of the military, troops, and I saw many. And man, they look like kids to me. And I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean I'm old. And when I see young people that have sworn that oath, I look at them and I think, wow, that's pretty remarkable that somebody that young wants to defend this country. So the negative feeling in that, because if you spend some time and you think about it, that if these young people are saying, you know, I love this country and I want to defend it, you would think in any young person, any young American, that that is a trait that we honor, that it's because those young men and women are still willing to stand up and swear the oath that our country remains strong. Why would there be a negative feeling about this one? And I think it's tied back to the other parts of this. I think our lack of border security, I think our outrage at Americans being murdered just on the other side of the border in one of the most brazen attacks that we've seen in a long time, it it taints the – the image that people have of the the entire system as a whole, and we have to we have to block those out. Now, does it also not strike some people as odd that the cartel that claims, and so far they are they are investigating the validity of the letter, but the cartel turned over five of their own to the U.S. with a letter apologizing. And saying that these people that committed – these five people that committed this kidnapping and murder um, were undisciplined and acted wrong and there was an apology from the cartel, apparently not wanting the disruption of their industry and hoping that this apology will stop the American government from any kind of action that would disrupt what they do. First of all, we don't know how real it is, although members of law enforcement say its appearances are that it's a real letter, that this is real. But we don't know if these five people are the five that were responsible or if they're scapegoats. We don't know any of those answers. But what we do know of all of this is that two Americans are dead. One was wounded. 
and the other one survived without physical injury, but there's going to be injury, you know, long term, long term effects of this. Spring break is right around the corner. And a lot of young people go into Mexico as part of their tourism. They don't want to see their tourism get hurt. This is an issue that's been dealt with. It's been dealt with in a lot of places. I told this story last week. I think it's still relevant. When I was young, um, there were crews that were realizing that tourists were vulnerable in Florida, especially European tourists, You know, not someone from another state but from other countries that were coming to America. And they had rental cars, and there were identifiers on the license plate in Florida that you could tell the difference between a plate that was issued to a resident and rental cars. You could see the difference on the license plate. Um, and they've changed it since then, so there's not really an identifier. And these crews were ripping off tourists that were driving along the interstates and pulling into rest areas, you know, to grab a drink or use the restroom. And so they were robbing people. And some, I think it was some German tourists that ended up dead. And Germany actually issued in their country an order saying, hey, listen, be very careful going to Florida because it's a dangerous place. Well, the tourism in Florida is their lifeblood. You know, the beaches and Disney and all the other parks and the stuff in that is is the lifeblood of Florida for a long time is their tourism. They have other industries, but tourism plays a huge role in how they pay their bills. So the Florida Highway Patrol went into action and they had task forces and they had regular routines where troopers that were patrolling the freeway were making efforts multiple times during a shift to drive through. And if they were parking and doing paperwork, they did their paperwork parked in a rest area to send a message to these crews that you're not going to disrupt. Now, again, you have to remember the core of this was violence against suspects or violence against um, the citizens of other countries or violence against tourists that the byproduct of that was it's ruining tourists. Tourism in Florida. That's not, um, I don't think that's cold hearted. That's just a reality that one affects the other. Mexico doesn't want to see that happen. Mexico doesn't want the the violence between cartels, which usually, like we say here in, in, in the States, gang violence, generally speaking, is between gang members. It doesn't make it condoned, but when it spills over and innocent people get shot or killed in a drive by shooting, gangs don't like that kind of exposure. In the old days when organized crime, the mafia, the mob, whatever, La Causa Nostra, whatever you want to call it, were the biggest organization when it came to crime syndicates in the U.S., when they were uh, predominantly you know, at their strongest, keeping things in-house when one mobster was kill, kill a rival mobster was one thing and it made big news. But when that violence spilled over to civilians that had nothing to do with their organizations, law enforcement went into action. When a law enforcement officer was killed – they went into action. This is not the kind of attention that they want. So what ends up happening here? And this is a sincere question. Um, I talked earlier about the the naming them domestic terrorists or terrorism. If we're going to do that, how do we do that? What is the designation? What is the criteria? You know, it's one thing to say it. You know, you got Lindsey Graham saying these are terrorist organizations and we should label them as such. What's the criteria to make that happen? And if you're going to do that, like let's say if there is an Al Qaeda member living in the U.S. by extension because of their affiliation, we would call them. A domestic terrorist. What is that definition of domestic terrorist with fentanyl and how it's killing people? And so we can put all the labels we want on, our, in, on people intellectually, but in the end, what, are the, what good are those labels? Does it really change anything? 
We know the cartels are getting stronger and stronger. Mexico knows that. Mexico knows that there are parts of Mexico that are controlled by the cartels. And here's the scary part of this for people that don't know. I've told that I've talked about this many times. If you go down near Gila Bend and you go down in other places where there are signs in America put up by our uh, Bureau of Land Management that say, don't stop for abandoned vehicles, don't pick up abandoned packages, don't pick up anybody walking, because this is a known drug corridor, and these cartels are violent. If you pick up a car, if you pick up a, a parcel, a backpack, or something that's been abandoned, if you pick up a person, you could be taking your life into your own hands. These are signs in our country. Imagine what it's like in Mexico, in certain parts. And it needs to be addressed by more than just lip service. And I think until we do that, we're going to see more and more stuff like this. Coming up in a moment, we do a segment at 1120 every day. It's called Did You Hear This? We catch you up on the headlines. We'll finish our week with Did You Hear This? coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, let's catch you up on the biggest news stories of the day. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. President Biden announced his budget and says he wants to work together with Republicans to pass something they can all agree on. Instead of making threats about the fall, which would be catastrophic, let's take that off the table. Let's, as I said in the beginning, let's have a conversation about how to grow the economy, lower costs, and reduce the deficit. What can you see Republicans and Democrats agreeing on the budget? Um, I think spending on defense, uh, what we're going to see as far as the border goes and policing, there's going to be some agreement on Republicans. If you're going to invest in policing, that's one of the things that the president said he wants to do. I think where you, the, the, the parts of agreement are going to be some of the what I think are common sense agreements that people can make. I think the Republicans are going to push back on tax increase. I think the Republicans are going to push back on some of the other spending. And if the president says his budget is going to lower the deficit with all the spending and the tax increases that are in there, I don't think it's going to do that. And that's going to be another place where they balk. I think they're very far apart because of the size and scope of this budget. And if the president is truly and wants to negotiate, he's going to have to rein a lot of this spending in. Governor Hobbs has vetoed a bill that would have banned critical race theory from being taught in schools. It is not addressing a real issue we're having in the classrooms. We need to focus on how we keep good teachers, how we fund our our schools. How could this veto affect the new Empower hotline? I don't know. I don't think it's going to affect the the hotline at all because there are things that people would say, whether whether they enacted a law specifically, there are certain things that don't belong in, in a certain classroom. If you're a history teacher, you have a different set of circumstances and things you would talk about than if you're a math teacher or, or a science teacher. And so I think the big thing that parents want that I think this hotline is going to be used for is when they go to a school board and they're asking about curriculum and they're not getting answers about that curriculum and then they're finding out that there are issues where teachers are overstepping. We know it happens for the governor to say it doesn't happen isn't true and I think that this hotline will also then do the other side of things. If these things are not a problem do the investigations and and show that the results are showing that there aren't really this many problems in classrooms. And let's put this to bed. 
you are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the major headlines. Minority leader Senator Mitch McConnell unfortunately suffered a concussion earlier this week. ABC's Rachel Scott shares a bit about his impact serving in government. He is the longest serving party leader in the Senate's history. He's 81 years old. This is not the first time that he has had an accident like this. He fell in 2019. He fractured his shoulder. He underwent surgery. Do we need term limits in our government? See, I've always been against term limits because I think it's lazy. I think we do have term limits. Every two years, we could replace the House of Representatives and at the same time replace one third of the Senate. We have to be wise as voters. I think as long as we have the same group of voters voting for the same people in office, we're going to elect the same leadership. I do think that leadership should be better in both political parties at mentoring a new generation and turning over the mantle to a younger brand of leadership every so often. Having somebody in their early 80s, as is uh, Senator McConnell, in their mid to late 80s, as is Senator Feinstein, and there are other examples of people far advanced in age, it's not necessarily about the number of their age, but at some point you have to realize new blood and new leadership is always a good thing. Pick an organization that's successful that doesn't live by that mantra, and it's hard to find. These good organizations no matter where they are, are always bringing in new blood and new leadership and mentoring them for a long time to make sure they're prepared to lead. I don't see that in government. Chuck Todd from NBC's Meet the Press joined Arizona's Morning News and shared his thoughts on the cartel's supposed apology and suspects in the case of kidnapped Americans in Mexico. Say this statement. What does the cartel say? Hey, pay no attention. We govern. No, 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 no. The Mexican government doesn't tell you anything. We'll t- no, we'll apologize. We turned over the people. We patrol this area. They don't. Should the statement by the cartels be a major warning for U.S. officials? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, you've got the cartels cooperating and it's not coming from the government. Our relationship as a nation is with the government. If you go back to the 1980s, um, or actually, I'm sorry, the 1970s, we had a very good rapport as a nation with the government of Iran. And that was the Shah of Iran. We had a relationship with them. We were even going to sell them a half a billion dollars in arms. Well, in came the Ayatollahs. They deposed the Shah, and we didn't recognize them as the legitimate government in Iran, even though they've been leading that nation now for decades. Well, are we going to now look at the cartels and say, you are the de facto government and start negotiating with them? Are we going to recognize them as community leaders? That would be just as absurd, and I would say even just as dangerous. All right, great job, Julia. That's Did You Hear This Again for another week. We'll pick it up Monday morning at 1120. Um, This is one of those areas, when you look at Mexico, um, what's happening here – I love Mexico, by the way. The Mexican people are proud. We have so many Mexican-Americans that are still connected to their culture, connected to their nation by family, but they are Americans. But they still love the country they came from. They want to see it peaceful. They want to see it prosperous. We need them as a trading partner. We need a safe, stable Mexico for our national security, for our financial security. It just makes sense. So this is an indicator of a bigger problem that's been going on for a long time, is now with this recognition of how bad things can be in certain parts of Mexico, a time for America to stand up and say, all right, these are our neighbors. We know that there are many, many good people in Mexico. What can we do as a nation to foster stability, growth, and prosperity in Mexico? It's good for everyone. And I hope that's what the fallout is. I hope that's what happens. In a moment, 
good news in the job market if you're looking for work, is not necessarily good news for interest rates or the economy. We'll tell you about job growth next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. I have a question. Do you believe that tax increases help the economy? And if you do, how? Two-part question. I don't. Um, I am a small government person. That's what makes me a Republican. I'm not... I don't, I'm not a small government person because I'm a Republican. It's my beliefs in a small government. Now, I will say this at the very beginning. I mean this sincerely. I am immensely disappointed in my party that they have gone astray of their basic principles of a small government. Um, it's not that rules are bad. It's just that when you have a federal government telling all 50 states how they're going to do things, you run into problems. When you are confiscating trillions of dollars of wealth from the state, in a government that's bloated, inefficient, wasteful, and um, I think irresponsible at times, it's a problem. I think the states would do a much better job of running themselves. Now, again, uh, I look at our country and our greatness. I am a proud American. I love this country. Um, Emotionally, I am still overwhelmed by how much I love my country. Uh, traveling to Europe in the few times that I have, I'm not a, a super experienced traveler. But one of the things that I was struck by that I really enjoyed about the places I've been, France, Belgium, Luxembourg, Italy, um, I looked at how unique and individual these places stayed. And how, you know, the French are a a completely different in language and culture and politics and government from Italy, so to speak. There is a crossover. There's a lot of travel in between and people learn each other's languages and they try to. But culturally, they have remained so different for centuries. And yet they work together very well. And so I don't think that the United States should become like Europe. But I think there's some examples there that are that are terrific. I think that Arizona should be as unique and always should be as New Mexico and California and Nevada and Utah. And we should all stay individuals, but we work together. We respect each other. We trade and we there's commerce and, you know, all of these things that we do already. But trying to make all 50 states the same is the problem of a federal government. We are 50 states that has a federal government. It's not the other way around. The more money that the federal government says it's entitled to and taking from each state and individuals in those states in taxation and then making the rules on the distribution of that money, the less um, independent and the less unique we become. And so that's just my stance. I, there are a lot of people rolling their eyes that think that's crazy. I'm just saying I've lived – I was born in Ohio. Um, I don't remember a whole lot about living in northeast Ohio. I was a small child when I left, although I still have cousins and very close friends who live in northeast Ohio. I grew up in southwest Florida, very different from Ohio. I've lived in Arizona for 28 years. I've traveled all over the country. I love the differences. If California wants to be a sanctuary state and they want to have huge, immense gun control laws, amen, do what you want. You should be able to as a state. Our office, when we elect and hire a governor, that office should be more important to Arizonans than the presidency. 
Who we elect to the state legislature should matter more than the Congress. With all due respect to members of Congress, leadership, the Senate president, the House speaker should be more important in our local government than it is in Washington, D.C. But by virtue of the immense amount of control we've turned over to Washington, D.C., that's not the case. I certainly don't expect anybody in California or in the Pacific Northwest or Washington, D.C. or Chicago politics, I don't expect any of them to agree with what I believe is a way to run a state. But they shouldn't I shouldn't have any right to oversee them either. Educational differences, challenges that they have, demographic challenges, educational challenges, um, all the things that they deal with in a state should be unique to that state. And we have less and less of that. And so now we've got a new budget being proposed by the president of the United States. And in this new budget are going to be a lot more tax increases. It's going to be on the wealthy, a 25% billionaire tax and an increase on taxes of somebody that's making more than $400,000 a year. And so all of these things they're saying are only going to affect the wealthy. We're going to get rid of the subsidies for the oil companies. All of these things are only affecting the rich. But what they can't run from is that they've already got more wealth from the American people than they've ever had before. And it increases every month. Why are we at a time when inflation is hurting Americans? Are we saying the good thing to do is give more money to the federal government? Do you believe that raising taxes helps the economy? And it doesn't. And let's say for a moment that you have a program that is uh, sponsored by or funded by the federal government. A couple of things you know are true. There is a huge set of rules attached to it that are non-negotiable. So you're now and secondly, you're beholden to them. The idea of self-sufficiency, freedom for me changes in my mind the older I get. You know what freedom for me is now? I want financial freedom. I don't want to owe anybody a penny. That's freedom to me. I don't have to worry about making my monthly bills. That's freedom to me financially. We are beholden. I love the job I do. I absolutely love this job, but I also need it. I would love to have this job where I don't need it. I do it because I love it, but I could walk away and I could still survive financially. How many of you could think about walking away from your job as much as you may love it and say, I could walk away tomorrow and I'd survive financially. That's freedom to me. It's not about going on vacation. It's not about sleeping in late. It's just about knowing that I'm self-sufficient. So that's my goal now. When you look at what the government's doing and how they're going to take more from businesses, I can promise you this. We've got inflation continuing. Interest rates are continuing to rise, which is going to slow down growth in businesses, which ultimately is going to cost jobs, which is what is going to lower inflation. So the very job creators out there that we know interest rates are going up, it's harder for them to borrow money. It's going to be harder for them to expand their businesses, harder for growth. We now are proposing that we're going to tax them even more and take even more money out of their discretionary income. As an employee, that's going to affect you. 
I use the example of the people I've worked for before. I worked for a couple of people that were that taught me more about business. It didn't matter that it was technically in what I did. As an electrician, I learned a lot from my bosses as an electrician, estimator, project manager, the trade itself, how to do things, but more about the business side of things. I worked for a guy that was a brilliant guy. He had service trucks. We did residential service electrical work is what we specialized in. And every one of his vans looked like an ambulance. What I mean by that, they were regular work vans, but they had the exact same amount of material in the exact same place on every single van. The same tools were issued. The same material every single day was on that van. So if your van broke down, you took another van. It was like you were taking your van. You had replacement for what you used every single day. So when you left the next morning, you had the exact same material on your van that you had the day before. It was so efficient. It was so cost effective. It squeezed every minute out of every hour of every workday. And it was a brilliant way to run a business. We don't see that in the federal government because it is so big. It is so bloated. It is so, um, you know, there's waste, there's redundancy, there's loss, there's neglect. And it's just part of the machine. So this is where if I were running for office, and I'm not, but if I were running for office, this is what I would talk about. It wouldn't be rich versus poor. It wouldn't be – it would be we should all be – we all should have a healthy suspicion of our government. We all have the suspicion of our government when it's the opposing party that's in charge. But even to my Democrat friends, I would say to you, how do you justify taking more money out of the American economy now in the current situation with inflation of any demographic? But more importantly, how do you justify taking more money out of the pockets of Americans and giving it to a government that is so wasteful, my party and yours, with our tax dollars? And I think if we had that conversation, we'd be better off as voters. I'm going to I'm going to go on this topic in a moment, just a little further. We mentioned this earlier in the show. Are we seeing the the examples of what's wrong with American politics in our leadership? I'll give you details next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. You know, there is uh, freedom in not necessarily needing something. I don't know if that's always a good thing, but um, when it comes to power, when it comes to a position, um, the feeling that you have to have it is terrifying because it limits you on what you can do and the freedom you have to express yourself. To be honest, if I was worried about losing this job, there's a lot of things I wouldn't say on the air, but I say things because I try to be honest about what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking at the time. But when it comes to government, I want you to hear something. You may not think this is a big deal. Maybe you do think it's a big deal. But this is an example of the direction I want to take before we close out the week. A former governor of Rhode Island who is now the Commerce Secretary to the president is Gina Raimondo. She was talking to Bloomberg last week and she was talking about TikTok. Now, I'm, you know, I don't have a TikTok account and it isn't a political thing. I just don't. I'm too old for it. I watch Reels videos, which a lot of times are TikTok videos, but I'm not someone, I'm not recording videos. It's not my platform. I don't. But there are many people in many states and local governments have outlawed government issued devices from having TikTok on them because of the spy elements from the Chinese government. And everybody seems to know that this is a tool that the government is using, the government of China is using, that is a spy tool. As a matter of fact, Marco Rubio said that we have all of these people that are outraged about this spy balloon that traversed America, and yet they have TikTok on their phones. 
So there is an element of this that is very concerning to some people. The Commerce Secretary seems to admit that this is a big issue. The app is predicted to have 100 million U.S. users in the next year. Um, It has turned out to be – it's backed by the Chinese Communist Party itself. And uh, the approach from Raimondo about it is this. Listen, I don't, I, maybe you don't understand the significance of this, but this is terrifying to me. The politician in me thinks you're going to literally lose every voter under 35 forever. However much I hate TikTok, and I do, because I see the addiction in the bad – I'm going to use the word stuff. That's not the word she used – that it serves kids. You know, this is America. That ideology of win at all costs, do whatever you have to do to make decisions that get you reelected, it's not the way to run anything. We have to be willing to do the right thing sometimes. And if the right thing costs us, then it costs us. And I know that's a cavalier way of looking at things. Uh, you know, I, I've said before, I, I need this job. I love this job, but I still need it. You know, I still need and I still need an income. Um, but at the same time, if you aren't able to, whether you're an elected official, you're something that gives your opinion for the li- for a living. If you're not able to do it with the freedom of knowing I have to be honest about how I feel as opposed I have to tell people what they want to hear or I'm going to lose this. You're not doing a service to yourself or anyone else. So you've got people in political power. I talked earlier about Mitch McConnell and Dianne Feinstein as examples, and both of them are, are much older, very old. You know, and, and you know, Mitch McConnell now the second time he's fallen and injured himself. Dianne Feinstein seems to not re- be remembering things as well, and it happens to people when they get older. I'm certainly not mocking it, but it is a symptom of a larger problem, which is people, when they get in positions of power, never want to lose them. There isn't a time where you say, it's time for me to hand this off. I mean, we've been working with people forever. I talked about Ra- Ronald Reagan's uh, r- rise to power. You know, Ronald Reagan was mentored by people. He talked largely about Barry Goldwater being what created him. Um, And when you look at those things, you think somebody was able to or willing to turn it over and train you to replace you. Um, Family-owned businesses that survive for generations do that with their family where they know they've got their kids working in the business early. And they aren't just employees, but they know that this is going to be the future leadership of that company. And those family members are trained at being leaders and eventually are going to make different decisions than their parents or the family members that turned it over to them. But that's what a family business does, and that's how some of these businesses that live for generations succeed. It's because you are not just turning it over at some point. When I die, you get the company. You know, it's not that way. And it's the same with corporations that work. It's the same in sports. You know, every head coach knows that if you've got a brilliant young coach playing or working under you, that that coach is looking to grow and more be more than just a receiver's coach and a defensive back's coach. They want to be an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. Then a defensive coordinator wants to be a head coach. And so you're giving them the tools, realizing that if this league is going to stay strong, we are going to have to grow and foster the leaders of tomorrow. And we don't see that in American politics. It's say what you have to say to win. Vote how you have to vote to win. Don't make decisions based on a moral compass. Make decisions based on polls of voters. And I don't think that it's doing a service. And when you have people that are that um, 
uh, I guess, um, I guess, connected to winning an election, are you getting honesty in what's best for the country? That to me is a big issue. You hear the music. We are just about out of time for the week. I want to invite you, if you're a social media user, to check out um, you know my social media at Broomhead KTAR is my Twitter account. That's me personally. If you get a response or a comment there, love it or hate it, it's from me at Broomhead Show. Update you on the things we do on the show. And if you go to Mike Broomhead on Instagram, that's my Instagram account. You can keep up with me this weekend. Want to thank you for the busy week and being with me for part of your day or days. Hoping you do it again Monday. Until then, God bless. Thank you.